This is the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. My name is Sarah Jefford and I'm a surrogate and a surrogacy lawyer. In this episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with Simone, who's from South Australia and carried a baby only about three, four months ago. I'm going to hand over to Simone so that she can tell her story, but I think it's really valuable to focus on how she went postpartum and how much her partner supported her through the process. My name is Simone. I am a mother of one and I birthed a little girl for her parents 15 weeks ago. Um, Her name is Riley and she's delightful and gorgeous and um, it's probably the single greatest thing I've ever done in my life. That's amazing. How did you come to surrogacy? Um, How did I come? I... When I was in high school, I had a really close friend called Catherine and we stayed friends after I left high school um, and we caught up quite regularly. Her um, cousin was going through hell with uh, miscarriages and I guess infertility in general. She she went through years of trying to get pregnant. Um, her skin was so damaged on her stomach that she couldn't inject there anymore from all, you know, all the injections she'd had to have over the years. It was this horrible story and she was such a lovely woman. And she eventually fell pregnant with twins and made it past the sort of safe zone of 12 weeks. And then she miscarried the first one at 19 weeks and the second one at 21 weeks. And they had held the fetus of the 19-week knowing that she would miscarry the second one. And it just, it killed me. It really broke my heart. And I didn't know anything about surrogacy at that point, but I said to her, I'll, I'll carry for you. Um, and it just wasn't something she could get her head around. I think she was just intent on having her own child in her own body. <laughs> and, um, but it just stuck in my mind as something... You know, I'd like to help somebody with one day. But um, as I said, I didn't know a lot about it. And then when I was 26, I had my own pregnancy. I fell pregnant by accident and I had this textbook perfect pregnancy and I felt guilty about it because I thought of all these women that were trying so hard to have children and they couldn't and here I was just falling pregnant by accident. So it kind of came up again that, you know, I wanted to help someone. Um, I think then I did start researching a little bit and I found out what the laws were. I joined the Fertility Connections Forum, um, but I was a single parent at the time and it just wasn't something I could take on with a baby that didn't ever sleep and, and just being single, it was just, it was hard. Um, I think I met my husband about three years later and we talked about having more children together but it wasn't something I wanted to do. I had other plans of going to uni and um, I don't know I've just got lots of plans all the time and having another child and starting all over again with a baby just wasn't something I wanted to do. But you know told him at that point when I met him that surrogacy was something I wanted to do one day and he I think kind of brushed it off with yeah yeah. I'm sure, <laughs> whatever, another one of Simone's crazy ideas. Um, and I did then pack off my child to school when she was five and started uni the same year, got my degree and then decided that um, 
timing was good. Um, so I think I started talking more about it to people. Um, I spoke to my trainer at the gym actually about wanting to carry a pregnancy and I was approaching 38 I think and worried about would I be able to you know take the weight off afterwards and uh, he sort of laughed and said yeah of course you will why are you planning the pregnancy and I said no no I'm planning it for somebody else and he said you will not believe this I've got a client who is looking for a surrogate and I thought about it for a couple of weeks and I went back and said, can you give her my number? I just want to talk. I don't, you know, it's, it's not an offer to be a surrogate. It's just I'd love to talk to somebody who knows something about it. And so she generously agreed to meet up for a coffee. And we, uh, she told me what she knew about it. She told me about the Facebook pages, which had never occurred to me to look on Facebook. Um, and then uh, I found the surrogacy in South Australia and from there I was directed to the Australian surrogacy community um, and started talking to people. Uh, and then obviously the surrogates only page as well. And it was like I'd found my people. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess I just started reading and learning and... I think I came to it thinking I knew exactly what I wanted and within a very short space of time that was all completely changed, just uh, learning from other people, I guess. Um, I felt very uncomfortable in those initial stages of getting to know people. I hated the fact that it was on me to, I guess, choose somebody to carry for. Um, and I, I did really struggle with that a lot. And the relationship with whoever I was going to carry for suddenly became very important, which that hadn't been important to me in the past, I guess, through ignorance on my part. I think I put myself out there a little bit on the SA page because I wanted to meet somebody local. Um, I, I had very strong views about um, having the parents be at all of the appointments if I did manage to achieve a pregnancy. Um, and that felt a lot easier if they were in the same state. <laughs> um, so I think I tried to organise a coffee catch-up and I turned up to this coffee thing that I'd organised and there was me and maybe four or five IPs and I felt quite overwhelmed by the whole thing. But funnily enough, when people were introducing themselves, when I arranged this coffee meeting, um, Mel, who I then carried for, she introduced herself and I, I don't know, it's easy to say now, but I just knew that she was the person I was going to carry for. I, I, I don't know what it was in her little message that she wrote. Uh, she posted a picture of her little dog and it was very cute and I could see how much she loved her dog and it was I could relate to that because I've got dogs. Um, she didn't end up coming on to the coffee catch-up, but I then messaged her and started chatting with her. And then I think Anna Mac organised a dinner and I went along to the dinner and Mel happened to sit next to me and we started talking and I chatted to her husband Dave as well. And it was like 
their life circumstances were exactly the same as mine and my husband's and their sort of morals and hopes for the future, they all aligned with what I wanted for, but, you know, our children and the type of schools that we picked and, you know, the fact that we worked really hard and, I don't know, we just seemed to be very similar and uh, I knew I could sit there and envisage us having dinner together and them being part of my family. And I then organised lunch with Mel. And I think at that point she had actually tried to do an egg collection and it hadn't been successful and she'd written off the whole idea of surrogacy. And I think that was based on the fact that she would need an egg donor and she hadn't, she hadn't got her head around that yet. Um, anyway, we decided that we'd keep in touch anyway because we got along well and um, we went out for lunch and then I think Dave had mentioned to her that, you know, you've got pets and they're not genetically linked to you but you still love them and look after them. It could be the same with an egg donor. Uh, and I think she'd started to get her head around that. But I think she was struggling to make any real decisions because things were too up in the air in terms of they didn't have a surrogate, they didn't have an egg donor. And so quite quickly I said to her, um, if it is the path you want to go down, I'd be happy to chat about it. And it, in my mind that wasn't so much an offer, but it was letting them know that she did have an option um, and so we did start chatting probably more along the lines of if we were to do it together uh, and, you know, with me being the surrogate. Um, I floated the idea of me being a traditional surrogate, but Mel wasn't keen on that idea. But I think we just sort of pretend, you know, basis that I'd be their surrogate. Uh, and then luckily Animat came to the rescue and donated an egg. Um, and I think around the same time I offered to be the surrogate and then it all happened quite quickly <laughs> we kind of pushed through i'd already done a lot of counseling before i'd even i guess made any offers or even started talking to me i wanted to make sure that first of all i was you know um, comfortable with going through surrogacy and i needed to be sure that my husband was comfortable with it because he had been dead against it um, so we'd had a lot of counselling, a lot. We'd had a few sessions of counselling before that. I'd also seen an obstetrician because it had been 10 years, you know, since my own pregnancy and I wanted to make sure I was physically ready to have another pregnancy. So a lot of that groundwork had been done. Um, so then it was just Anna having her egg collection and in the meantime we were doing counselling and legals. And then um, I think I offered in... August and we transferred in April the following year um, and it was successful first time. So it was extremely exciting. <laughs> I was quite determined in the lead up that it was going to be successful. I felt if I was positive about it that it would happen and luckily it did. Um, and then perfect pregnancy, um, a lot different to my own. I was 26 with my own daughter and I was now 40 with Riley so that was different and hard <laughs> but still a really good pregnancy it was just my body suffered a bit more my back was pretty 
<laughs> uncomfortable and I was exhausted. But um, Mel and Dave were amazing. They, I never had to ask them for anything. It, everything was always, you know, there was always money in the bank. There was always um, open discussion about if I needed anything that I should get it. If I wanted a massage, go have a massage. If you need some clothes, go get clothes. It was never, nothing was ever a problem with them. Um, we did see Mel's obstetrician who she had seen um, in her brief pregnancy. I don't know if it's okay to say brief pregnancy, but um, he specialised in high-risk pregnancies but had agreed to see us based on the fact that Mel had seen him in the past. I'm interested in, you said that your husband wasn't really on board with the surrogacy. What were his yeah. concerns and how did you get to the point where he was okay with it? Um, so, yes, when I felt that timing was right for me and for our family, uh, my daughter was almost 12 or, no, she was just over 12. Um, so I, I felt, you know, she was quite settled at school and, and our household could cope with the disruption. I brought it up again and he just shut down and that's, he just refused to speak about it at all. He was concerned that he would uh, become attached to the baby. Um, and I think he didn't want the... My husband tends to see the negatives or the hard stuff. Uh, he's not generally a pessimistic person, but he, I guess he's maybe a little bit more realistic than me sometimes. I'm, I float along going, oh, yeah, it'll be great. And he's more, well, hang on a second, what about, you know, we're bringing another couple into our household and we're going to have a baby for them. This is, this is a big thing. Whereas I tend to, yeah, yeah, that's okay. It'll be easy. It'll be fine. Um, eventually, I think it was a good few months, I asked him if he would agree to see a surrogacy counsellor and he didn't resist too much at that point. I think he needed to get me off his back and I think he thought that if he did at least talk it through with somebody that um, I would see the, the, maybe not the negative side of it, but the impact it would have on our house and then I would let go of the idea. So I think he went into counselling thinking this would be the end of it. But um, I think she made him really look at his reasons for not wanting it. She, one of the first questions she asked him was, oh, you think you're going to get attached to a baby that Simone's carrying? Um, do you want another baby? And he said, no, I don't want any more kids. We, we made that decision. He had a vasectomy. It wasn't on the cards for us. And she said, well, why would you think he'd get attached to somebody else's baby then? And that kind of stopped him in his tracks. And I don't think he really had a response for that, to be honest. Um, so that, that was maybe the first turning point. Uh, and then we talked about, I guess, just the difficulties of um, a pregnancy in general. Uh, and she sort of said to him, okay, well, was, how does Simone cope with sickness or how does Simone cope with, I don't know, being tired, those types of things. And he sort of said, well, she just gets on with it. 
And so then that was another big turning point because they were his two big, two big reasons. Um, and once he could jump those hurdles, then it was like, okay, well, maybe I could get my head around this. And from there he did, I guess, and then he met our IPs. And so then that was another, you know, big turning point because he liked them and we all got along really well. And it was like, now he wanted to help them. Um, so that changed everything. Uh, but I certainly wasn't going to do anything without his blessing. Um, and Wayne's the type of person that once he agrees to something, he supports 100% and he was amazing throughout. When it came to the actual pregnancy and the birth and postnatal, what was, what was it about his support that, um, that was needed, but also how, what was the difference between him being supportive or not being available to you? Um, I think at times through the pregnancy, despite how good it was, I did struggle a little bit. I, I certainly, I guess physically because I was more tired, I needed him more than I anticipated I would. And that sounds awful, but just in terms of um, giving our daughter attention and picking up the slack at home, I didn't expect to need to rely on him as much as I did. I look back at it now and I would have managed, but it would have been pretty unpleasant without him. And I, I think the guilt would have been overwhelming because even though my daughter is now 13 and fairly self-sufficient, she still wants my attention and she still wants me to show for her around and um, be at all the school events and things like that. And, and I struggled a bit with all of that. So it was nice that he would step in and say, go and lie on the couch, I'm going to do this today. I think in terms of support throughout the pregnancy, I was very reluctant to lean on Mill and Dave at all and that did cause some friction between us. Um, they wanted to, I think they, or I know that they saw it as their role to support me, which is, you know, I guess a lot of IPs feel that that's their role, but I wouldn't allow that and it wasn't for any other reason than I didn't want to inconvenience them and I didn't want to make their life more difficult. I knew they had their own lives and their own work and their own things happening in life, their own difficulties, the same as everybody else does. And I didn't want to be a burden to them. Um, I didn't want to, I was very conscious of not taking advantage of them. And I, I look back at it and it does seem a bit silly now, but um, at the time it was very important to me that I didn't, I don't know, pay for, or, you know, have them pay for things that were unnecessary or what I perceived to be unnecessary. Uh, I felt uncomfortable when, you know, sometimes I'd say, oh, my pants are too tight and I'm feeling really uncomfortable and the next thing Mel would appear with, you know, some nice pyjama pants or my skin was awful and she'd appear with skin creams and moisturisers and she was very thoughtful and I, I just felt uncomfortable with it. I, I felt like I was burdening her, which is ridiculous. Uh, but Wayne helped to put a lot of that into perspective for me. Um, and he told me to let them do their bit. 
which maybe I needed a little bit. Uh, I guess in the lead up to the birth, um, Riley was in a breech position and C-section was something I was fairly dead against. Um, it was nice having Wayne's support in that he, he sort of backed me when I said that I needed to do it a certain way, um, as did Mel and Dave. But I guess the reassurance from Wayne uh, that, you know, I wasn't being selfish by wanting to deliver the way I wanted to deliver and he encouraged me to talk to Mel and Dave, which I was not doing. I was keeping it to myself because I didn't want to upset them or um, worry them, I guess, because at the end of the day I knew it was their baby and I felt quite strongly about how I wanted to do it and I, I didn't want to take into account how they felt about it, which um, I felt guilty about. So I guess I was battling all of these things in my head and having Wayne there to say, you know, no, you need to do this or you need to speak to them or you need to let them help or, you know, all of those things, I really needed that. Um, at the actual, oh, so in the lead up to the birth, I had two ECVs. Both were completely unsuccessful and I knew they would be. <laughs> that child was quite determined she was coming out bum first. <laughs> um, it was really nice having Wayne there to hold my hand. I didn't have that with my own pregnancy because I was signal, single. So it was, it was nice having somebody to hold my hand and say it's going to be okay um, and, and see me in that vulnerable position because there's no way I would have allowed my IPs to see me in that position. Uh, I guess he, uh, he was integral in the birth. Um, when I went into labour, um, my obstetrician was on annual leave and we had a backup obstetrician who was questioning whether he was comfortable or he said he had the experience to deliver a breech birth naturally, but um, he wasn't entirely comfortable with it. And so that made me really question uh, whether I was, whether I should be delivering naturally the way I wanted to do it or go down the C-section path, which I really didn't want to do. And having Wayne there to say, no, you are doing this the way you want to do it. We know the risks. We've, we've talked about them. We're, we're comfortable that you're not putting the baby in danger or yourself in danger. Um, you need to, you know, go ahead and do this the way we're going to do it. If he hadn't have been there, it would have ended in C-section. Um, so I think I'll be eternally grateful to him just for that alone. Um, I guess in labour I started to, I think it had been made very clear to me that if the baby's head got stuck there was no coming back from that. And I guess when you're in the throes of trying to push the baby out and starting to doubt whether you can do it because you're in utter agony. <laughs> Having Wayne holding my hand was exactly what I needed. It was just that little bit of reassurance that, you know, you're doing this, you're fine, everything's okay. So, yes, he was, he was the person I needed and I, I couldn't have done it without him. There's not very many times in my life I'll admit that I need somebody, but I needed him. <laughs> so you're now 15 weeks postpartum. How has the last 
15 weeks been the fourth trimester amazing <laughs> um i have floated along on a high ever since and i think i still am i definitely got the you know sorrow high that everybody talks about i credit it to mel and dave solely um i honestly believe that they knew what i needed more than i knew what i needed um we spent three nights in hospital together initially i had said that i would birth and i would be going home and you know i wasn't going to argue about it that's what was happening in the end uh, our hospital wouldn't discharge riley and i separately i think i probably could have argued it but i in the end didn't i just assumed that everything would go perfectly and we would go off on our merry ways and i'd recover at home um on the first night riley did get a bit of a temperature and they the hospital were extremely uh, cautious and decided to give her a course of antibiotics which meant that she was staying in hospital for 3 days which meant that i was staying in hospital for 3 days and i was actually really happy about it i it didn't occur to me that i wouldn't stay there or i would argue with it i just was quite happy that that was what was going to happen um i direct breastfed riley it was always our plan that i'd do the first colostrum feed and then uh, i would express um in the lead up to the birth i had only just started expressing and then riley decided to come early so i actually hadn't didn't have a, a store of colostrum ready to go so the first night in hospital Dave sheepishly walked into my room and said, mm, "How would you feel about feeding?" And I couldn't have been more thrilled. Um I felt absolutely privileged to continue to look after her. And for me it was it was a slow detachment. Uh I had those 3 nights and I breastfed her and so I would have her every couple of hours for a cuddle and and feed her. and mel would sit and chat to me about nothing really um and it was just a really a nice amazing intimate time for mel and riley and myself and i honestly think that's why i felt so good since the birth and mel and dave after we were discharged from hospital mel and dave visited a couple of times um but you know to they came to the house for me to have cuddles with Riley which was hugely appreciated uh, i went to them and i always felt that i was you know welcome regardless of what was happening what time it was i think if i'd rang them at 3 in the morning and said can i come over i need a cuddle they would have opened the door and said no worries at all um so yeah it's just it's been amazing i have expressed for 12 weeks which was tough but um i felt good about doing it uh mel and dave certainly appreciated it and told me frequently how much they appreciated it and i think i think that adds to that high of i've done something good i've helped them and and i'm helping riley by making sure she gets a good start with the breast milk um and i yeah i just i've loved every second of it That's lovely.
Have you got any words of advice for intended parents or surrogates who are exploring surrogacy as an option? Uh, I guess the same as what we all say to new surrogates, take your time. Um, I definitely, I was on a mission when I joined the group. I felt like I had limited time because of my age. Um, I felt like it was a big rush to find the right people to carry for and then get pregnant. And now I look at that and think how ridiculous that was. It's, it's not a rush. It wouldn't have made an ounce of difference if it was an extra 12 months or two years. Um, I feel blessed with the people that I met because, uh, you know, my IPs that I carried for because they were amazing people and we did have a brilliant relationship. And I think if there is perfection, that was it. Um, but it, as we all know, it doesn't always work out like that. And uh, I guess just taking your time one day it's going to be over and you're going to wish it wasn't. So let it, let it drag on for a little while. Um, IPs, I, well, I don't know. I, Mel and Dave were amazing. I think, I think uh, the fact that nothing was too much for them. Um, I always felt like I could go to them and talk to them about anything. I didn't always do that, but you know, the option was always there and they were they were very receptive to everything I wanted um, and they also bent over backwards to try and make my life easier. I think, um, I think offering it and, and making sure you go through with it is, is good advice for IPs. Thank you for listening to the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about surrogacy, you can have a look at my website at sarahjefford.com. You can also find me on Facebook and on Instagram, and you can listen to more podcasts on the website or on Apple Podcasts.